As I said earlier, we're going to be in Genesis 17 today. And last week, we learned about El Roy, the God who sees. As we saw God giving promise and instruction to Hagar, the Egyptian. Uh, We learned that uh, the God who sees is the God who looks after us continually, consistently, in an all-knowing and everywhere present kind of a way with care and involvement and in providence, in his good providence. And we also reminded that uh, designing our own promises, remember the designer promises, and forgetting who God is, redefining him, recharacterizing him, or anything like that, those things can quickly lead us down our own plan B path. And God has no plan B. And that's a path of our own devising. Now, God, in his grace, is now going to reiterate those very things to Abram and Sarai today. And to Abraham and Sarah today. We finally can use their names that we usually use their names, the way we usually use their names. Uh, Both his promises, he's going to reiterate, and who he is. As we look into Genesis 17 through 18, verse 15. Uh, As well as giving them a sign, a seal, to remember his promise by. And so the format for the sermon is going to be a little bit different today. Instead of going through the passage line by line, and then having me so rudely interrupt as we go through the whole thing, I'm going to try to read through the entire passage straight through without stopping too much. And then we'll hit the major points afterward. Okay, And truth be told... Uh, this three-part sermon is going to take two weeks, okay? Um, so we're probably going to get through point one today, and then we'll look at it again next week and get we'll get through points two and three. Does that make sense? All right, but we have to read the whole thing to get point one anyway, so we're going to go ahead and just take two weeks to do this. Uh, in hitting those major points, though, I want to answer these questions. Number one, what is the purpose of circumcision? What in the world was that all about? And is there a correlation? There seems to be a correlation from the Old Testament to the New of circumcision and baptism. And I want to look at that and kind of not even split hairs, because it's not splitting hairs, but just try to find out what exactly was happening there with those signs that God gave for his people, both in the Old and the New Testament. Why does it matter? Why does circumcision matter? And it's going to feel kind of like we're pulling on a loose thread. You know, sometimes you get a new shirt and you see on the sleeve and you start pulling it and then pretty soon your sleeve's gone, right? Uh, It might feel like that a little bit today, Um, but we'll have a much better result than a sleeveless shirt, hopefully, at the end of our time together this morning. It's going to be helpful for us to understand the overall redemptive story of the Word of God. Uh, And let me just say with that, doctrine matters. Theology matters. Good theology is life-giving. Bad theology is destructive. And so it's important that we dive deep into these things. And then after that, uh, point two, question number two, is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm going to ask that question, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then also with that, what is the right way to understand that question, the truth behind it? Uh, we'll look into how not to understand that question and then how to understand that question in a great way and how to rightly respond to it. And then with that, this goes together with it, the next question, why has God commanded us to do things? that will not be successful unless he acts. 
You ever thought of that? Why does God ask us to do things and obey him in certain ways that really the fruit won't come unless he finishes the deal? Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Sarah was barren and 90 years old, right? Nobody actually could keep the law. You can't make a person get saved. God saves people. Why does God command us to do things we can't finish? Things that only he could, could, could fulfill. And I know that question could sound like a real discouragement, but if we understand this correctly, it will be for us a major source of joy in who God is and what he does. Really, the major source of joy in our life in Christ. So, let's read God's word together. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings shall come to you, or come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations and for an everlasting and eternal covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male, throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. And by the way, that just elevates all of those people are human beings and made in the image of God, not one to be thought less of than the other. Okay, sorry I interrupted. Where was I? I'm just going to start at verse 13. Both he who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, or Sarai, but Sarah, which means queen or princess. And they both mean that. It's just a different uh, uh, geographical or dialect way of saying it or spelling it. But Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. 
I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael, that he might live before you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, which remember his name means God hears, God says, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes. I'll make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he'd finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. Remember he had over 318 who were trained for battle. So how many men was that? And did it as God had said to him. Verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he circumcised the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son, Ishmael, were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, uh, they were circumcised with him. And then on chapter 18, we're almost done. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And then he took curds and milk And the calf that he'd prepared. Uh, So this was not just a morsel of bread, right? And he set it before them. This was a a royal dinner. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, Where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. If Abram didn't know who this was yet, he knows now, doesn't he? And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way a woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, By the way, interruption here, that word hard in the Hebrew is wonderful. Isaiah 9, 6, and he shall be called 
wonderful counselor, prince of peace. That's the same word. At the appointed time, God says, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together as we continue, okay? Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the honesty and integrity of your word. None of these people are glamorized. None of these people are to be praised and worshipped. Because there are plenty of things that are too hard for us. But there's nothing too hard for you. You are the Almighty God. And may we, Lord, um, take joy in who you are and in what you're doing as we look into your word today to see what this thing is that you gave to your people to do to point them to you. And may we rejoice as we go from here in the signs that you have given us through your ordinances uh, to bring you glory and honor and praise and to remind us of the great joy that we have in Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. All right, so let's talk about circumcision. And the correlation there between circumcision and baptism, okay? What was the purpose? Why? Why circumcision? Uh, God tells Abraham that it was to serve as a sign, as a seal of the covenant that he had made. And that covenant had to do with the offspring of Abraham. Included with that was the land, the possession, kings, the blessing of all the nations, and ultimately that offspring. Use a capital O on that one. The offspring. Which, by the way, grammatically in that part of the passage is singular. And Paul points that out in Galatians 3.16. He says it doesn't say offsprings, but offspring. Okay, that's some divine commentary from Galatians 6, to, or Galatians 3 to help us to know that to be true. That offspring, singular, who would be king and be the promise and the fulfillment of the covenant and lead in this everlasting possession. Who is it? It's Christ. It's the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. Now, looking back, we can, we can see all of these details, can't we? We can be instructed by the apostles, the things written in the New Testament, uh, as to what all this meant. But Abraham believed God with as much as he knew, as much as he was told, as much as he saw and was revealed by God himself, looking forward, looking forward to the fulfillment of this promise of God. And he believed. And God counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. He didn't know to say it that way, but that's how he was saved. Okay? And we have in this two tracks of this covenant. When we see the covenant given to Abraham, it seems like there's two tracks that we go down. One, in a sense, giving birth to the other in reality. Because one of those tracks is the nation of Israel. The people of, uh, the descendants of Abraham. And you have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the twelve and the tribes and Israel, right? That's part of the, the commitment here, the covenant that God gives to Abraham. But there's also the track of the offspring, capital O. 
and the everlasting kingship and the everlasting possession. And that promise of that covenant is Jesus Christ. And so you have the people of Israel and the one who would come as a descendant of the people of Israel. So one is intrinsically tied to the other. Does that make sense? And yet there is a distinction between them. One does not automatically mean that you're in the other. And we're going to see that as we go through uh, the word of God today. And there will be some page turning, so just a heads up on that, or some scrolling on your phones or whatever. So, the purpose of the circumcision. God promised an everlasting possession and throne through the offspring of Abraham and Sarah. And he commands Abraham to be circumcised when? Only at the time a year before the conception of Isaac. Before the conception of Isaac. Not before. So when Abraham and Sarah now lie together at 99 and 90 years old, there's a reminder there. And think about this as the seed of Abraham passes by that sign and as conception then miraculously occurs in this woman who is beyond the time of childbearing. Do you see what God's doing here? This sign of this covenant? And this is a sign kind of seal. Not a, not a closure kind of seal like a Ziploc bag. Okay, we think of the blue and yellow makes green and so the products therein are sealed, right? But that's not the kind of seal this is talking about. It's a sign kind of seal. Uh, circumcision did not save anyone in Israel. And baptism, likewise, does not save anyone in the church. It's a sign. Okay, when, when the president speaks, think about this just in comparison uh, as an illustration. When the president speaks, what is mounted on the front of the podium? Yeah, there's a special podium, right, that's to their liking, and there is the seal of the president of the United States. And it doesn't matter if it's President Trump or President Obama or President Bush or President Clinton or anybody else, past or future, right? It's not the person, it's the office, and that seal serves as a sign, a reminder, so that when the president speaks from behind the podium, the authority of the office is combined, connected to the words of their speaking. Does that make sense? It's a sign. That's the kind of seal that's happening. And so just as that seal serves as a reminder of the words being passed out over and above it, the sign of circumcision serves as a reminder for the people, the descendants of Abraham, and all those who come as a part of Israel to remind them that as the seed passes by that sign, God's doing something. God's going to fulfill his promise. The offspring is going to come from this line, from our people, and specifically Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Later we know Judah, right, and David, <laughs> and from there. So that, that's what's happening here. That's what's happening. And then, then why did everyone, we want to ask, why did everyone have to be circumcised? Why Ishmael? Why all of those in the home of Abraham, in his house? Remember, Abram offered Eliezer of Damascus as plan B. Do you remember that? But Eliezer needed to be reminded 
And he needed to be circumcised to be reminded that the seed of Abraham and then Isaac and down that line would bring about the Messiah, not his own. Eliezer needed to remember that. Abraham also offered Ishmael as a plan B, even in this passage we read today. But Ishmael had to be reminded every time seed was sown that it was Isaac who was the son of promise and not him. He was the son of the flesh. It was Isaac, not him, that would bring about the promised seed of the woman that would be the Messiah. Ishmael needed to remember that. He needed to know that. Uh, Paul in Galatians four twenty one. Go ahead and turn there with me. Galatians four, verse twenty one. It says this. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, our children of the promise. Remember those two tracks. But just as that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. What in the world was that? Here's what Paul is saying. Remember in in the book of Galatians, there were Jewish people who were saying, no, 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 you still have to be circumcised. Paul said, if you do that, you've got to follow the whole law. And he compares people who are trying to follow the law to earn their salvation to slaves. He's calling the Jewish people who are refusing to acknowledge Christ as the Messiah as the sons of Hagar. Would that have been slightly offensive to them? And he's calling those who, Jew or Gentile, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ the same way Abraham did. They're calling, he's calling them, us, the children of the promise, the children of Sarah, and the children of Abraham. That's what he's saying there, okay? Even with Ishmael's story there, comparing it to those trying to follow the law, that's plan B. Following the law for my salvation is plan B. It's of the flesh. That was never God's intention. Okay, so everyone, everyone was to be reminded of what was to come. Their circumcision did not save them as a people. It reminded them of what was to come, the promise of God. And everyone was being reminded of that promise that God was making, that God was doing. Not because I'm so great. Israel is not redeemed because Israel's so great. The children of Abraham by faith are redeemed because God is great. Praise God. 
So this, the sign's purpose. This is why it made sense for the boys to be circumcised on the eighth day or as infants. Remember, they were looking forward to what God was going to do through the people of Israel. That, that track of the covenant. And all visible, that word is significant, we'll come back to it. All visible Israel was to be circumcised to remind them of what God was going to do. Not them. So this, this still didn't keep them focused, though, as was proved in the days of the earthly ministry of Christ. It had become a religious rite more than a sign of promise. Or the promise had been modified, designer promises, to be all about them and not about God. And this idea, calling Israel, or using the term visible Israel, there were people in Israel who should have, and they did, get circumcised on the eighth day, but they did not believe the promise. They trusted in their own ability to keep the law, including the law of the circumcision. And they didn't believe, they didn't trust in the grace of God through the promise of God for their salvation. They were saved because they were Jews. That's what they thought. Does that make sense? I'm a Jew. I got circumcised. Or if they were a lady, my family circumcised all of our boys. Therefore, we're in for Abraham's children, automatic. That's what they had come to understand. And this thinking continues. This thinking has tripped up people in two ways, including in visible Christendom. We're going to use that word in the church as well, okay? Number one, just like people thought circumcision saved them, keeping the law, people today still think that baptism saves us. Or at least it seals, like a Ziploc bag, our salvation. Like it it brings closure to the process. But in the same way that circumcision served as a sign of what was to come, baptism now serves as a sign of what has transpired. What has come. What has been done. Okay, the Jews in the Old Testament looked forward to the birth of the promised Messiah. And we, the New Testament church, look back, and then presently, fittingly, I'm pointing at the baptistry there, and then fittingly, presently, identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. Remember, Romans 6 says that we were buried with him by baptism into death, and death to the old self, sin, and raised in the likeness of his glorious resurrection to walk in newness of life, which means our lives are changed. We've been born again. So that's one way it trips us up. But number two, since new births in Israel were closely followed by circumcision, by the covenant people of God, right? The question would be, shouldn't baptism now follow a new birth in God's covenant people? And did you hear how I asked that? I might have tripped us up a little bit there, but if by after birth you mean... I know that I'm a child of God after my conversion and therefore follow in believer's baptism as a new creation in Christ Jesus, then we say, amen, yeah, absolutely. When you put your faith in Christ, you are born again. You're born from, John 3, born from above. So get the tank full of water. Let's do this. Let's obey the Lord. But there's also the belief, the understanding that the church has replaced Israel. 
in such a way that since Abraham and the Jews were supposed to circumcise their babies, we, the people of the new covenant, should also symbolize the covenant with our babies through what we have in place of circumcision, which is baptism. Does that make sense? What I'm describing there, that's why. That's why. Uh, Romans 4. Turn to Romans 4 with me. Romans 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. It says this. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Blessing of being justified by faith. Or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Now, Here's why I read that. It's a good passage. God blesses the reading of his word. It's not going to return void, but, but think about this. If our only argument for baptism after salvation is that Abraham was circumcised after his faith, that's actually not a good argument. Because when was Isaac circumcised? Eight days old. Does that make sense? So if the only reason we baptize after salvation is because Abraham was circumcised after his... Well, what about all the children? Because they were then, does that make sense? They were then circumcised as infants. But those, those who hold to infant baptism can point to Isaac, to Jacob, and on. Their children circumcised as different, as, as infants. But here, let's think about this for a second. We can take a big, a big step back and look at some history. Okay? Israel. People of God or nation? And the answer to that is yes. Right? Yes, they were a theocracy in their birth. The law served as a constitution for them. And God was king. And that didn't go very well, did it? Over time, it didn't go very well. But their identity, their religion, and their nationality were fused together. Does that make sense? Okay, now, uh, Roman Empire. When Constantine decides that he's going to be a Christian. And initially, it's freedom of religion in Rome, but then not too long after that, Christianity becomes the official religion of Rome. And Roman Christianity becomes Roman Catholicism. And the word Catholic just means universal, the universal church, which is a part of, if you think about it, the belief that only the only real Christians are Catholics because we're the universal church. Does that make sense? And so not too long after things get going along there, Rome, are they a nation or are they the people of God? And people in that time and in that culture said, yes. Because if you were Roman after that time period, which is amazing to think about when we read of the persecution that occurred, isn't it? But what kind of Christianity was it? Remember the word visible? But there is this idea that the state and the people of God are one and the same. Okay, now fast forward to the Reformation. The Reformation. This is the world that these people are living in. 
and they're learning and they're reading the Bible. But in their understanding of culture, the church and the government are intrinsically connected and intrinsically combined. So when Martin Luther and when John Calvin and when Ulrich Zwingli and when John Knox and all of the reformers that we are right to respect and be thankful for how God used them and how the Spirit illumined their eyes to the truth of the gospel, many ways we agree. In their culture and in their context, if we vacate the church, the Catholic church, Rome, which would have been um, synonymous, then what goes in its place? And that's when you have the Church of England and the Church of Scotland. And you have, you know, who was, who was in charge of Geneva? For a while, John Calvin was in charge of Geneva because the church was it. Does that make sense? So the idea, the, the combination of those two tracks of the people of Israel and the ones who believe by faith and the potential misunderstanding because of the combination of those things, it brings about this idea of covenant. And, and sometimes it's referred to as covenant theology. And not everything in covenant theology is wrong, but one thing that it can kind of bring out is this idea that circumcision and baptism for the babies, the children, the covenant children, makes perfect sense. That is why, in so many churches, infants are baptized. Because they're the covenant children. But then just like you had true Israel and visible Israel, would it make sense then that under those kinds of ideas and doctrines you would have the church and the visible church? And not all who are in a visible church are the church. Does that make sense? Uh, Because of religion versus faith. Belief in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is where this comes from. Let's look at scripture, okay? Let's look at scripture. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these things about Israel and about faith and the descendants of Israel. I'm going to read these to you quickly. Romans 9, 6 through 8. It says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, so in these passages, we see that not all Israel is truly Israel. And we Gentiles who are believing, who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, are by faith the offspring of Abraham. And what do you do with that? Did we replace Israel? Is Israel dead and the church has taken over? Well, no. Some people do believe that, but we see Scripture doesn't really say that doesn't seem to. We see in Revelation and other prophetic passages uh, seemingly distinct things that God has in store for Israel as a nation. And in Galatians, again, in six, chapter 6, verse 16, I'm talking too fast. There's a distinction made between those who walk as a new creation, presumably Gentiles, and the true Israel of God, meaning those of Israel who are truly 
Israel by their faith, like that of Abraham. Remember, and this is the linchpin right here. Remember, the church was never meant to facilitate a nation state. And the church has not fulfilled what Israel failed to do. Jesus fulfilled what Israel failed to do. It's Jesus. God did it, not us. The church does not stand in Israel's place. We would fail just as quickly. No, Jesus stands in true Israel's place and the place of all in the church who have faith in him. Galatians 2, 17 through 21. Uh, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Did he die on the cross so that you could try to follow the law and mess up? No, no. Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Surprise. For, it doesn't say that in the Bible. But I'm saying that. Surprise. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when Jesus was circumcised, he was circumcised for us in our place. That box was checked in Christ and every other thing we failed to do, Christ fulfilled it in his perfect righteousness. And that is what is on your account before a holy God. Praise God for his grace. But in thinking about this, you've got to be careful not to criticize people who believe in infant baptism. I don't think it's right. I don't think the scripture says it's not right. But if Jesus checked that box... Did Jesus know what he was doing at eight years old? Or would any Jewish boy, we might have debate about that because he's Jesus, but would any boy eight years old know who was the one doing it? Well, it was the parents. And sometimes we use that as an argument, right? Well, an uh, an infant doesn't know and he doesn't believe in God and they can't be. Well, neither could the Jewish boys at eight. That's why you have to be careful to to be kind. Give an answer for the reason for the hope that's in us with gentleness and respect. And no. Okay, It says in this passage in Galatians 2, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Colossians 2, I think this is so helpful, verses 11 through 14. In him, in Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And when God does it, it's superior. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. So what is the circumcision of Christ if what follows it is burial? When was Christ cut off? At the cross. Bloodshed. having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. It's his grace who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross, 
praise God and praise God alone. So baptism, baptism does not save you after you pray the prayer and then seal things up by getting dunked in the water to bring closure. And baptism does not save you as a child of Christian parents when you're baptized as an infant. This, this becomes the same mistake. And then there's the visible church, like we said before, that's full of many people who are not truly the church. And that's happened. We've seen that take place. And please know, please know, please know, please know, there are many people who are either Presbyterians, Episcopalians, maybe Anglicans, who do baptize their infants, but do not believe that that guarantees their salvation. Please know that. There are some people who have made the mistake and say, you're my child, you've been baptized, therefore you're going to heaven. It's locked. There are people who think that, okay? But there are people who don't think that. Who see the church as a replacement for Israel, who baptize infants because circumcision happened as infants, but they fully expect and fully desire and fully pray for their child to grow up, hear the gospel, graciously have their eyes opened, their ears open, their heart changed, and to love Jesus with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? There are brothers and sisters in Christ who believe that. Okay? Please know that. Uh, but that idea, you know, about confirmation, a child who goes through confirmation, the problem presented itself. We've baptized them, but then they grow up and they, they need to know and understand and be a part of the church. And so when they get older, depending on the, the different denomination or whatever, they have confirmation to make sure they know what's happening before they can say, yes, I want to be a part of this. That was the reason for it. Okay? And then first communion, right, after that. And that's kind of where they get the concept of closed communion. We'll talk about that a little bit later, maybe. Um, but baptism and then becoming a member of the church and then communion, once they understand. And that's where some of those things come from, from those um, church history and denominational understanding of doctrine. Does doctrine matter? Doctrine matters. So, the pattern over all time is this. You guys are doing a great job. The pattern over all time is this. Old Testament birth, the sign of circumcision, looking forward to then the fulfillment of the promised Messiah and his death, his burial, his resurrection, which brings the new covenant, which then results in new birth, being born again. And after that birth, how do I know I'm a covenant child of God? When I'm born again. And then after that birth, the sign of baptism. Identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That being said, God took the sign of circumcision seriously. The New Testament has not relegated. It has certainly not taken lightly the significance of the sign of baptism for those who are born again. The prerequisite, what had to be done before, the prerequisite to, to circumcision was birth and boyhood. The prerequisite to baptism is being born birth in the spirit being born again if you're here today and you're born again and you haven't been baptized you need to get baptized i'm telling you in love you need to obey the lord and you need to do this let's do it let's get that tank full of water and let's obey the lord praise god there is no other prerequisite given in scripture god already has done the work done. Some say they want to truly wait and they want to wait till they can truly know that they've given their lives to the Lord first. 
Like, I have to get to a certain level before I'm ready to, to do this. But that's not how God says it works. And we have to be careful we don't make our designer promises. You have been bought with a price. You're already his. So let's get on board. Amen? Don't let that stop you. Don't let fear stop you. Fear God rather than men. Be encouraged in that. And the only reason, really, unless a person's, of course, on their deathbed or something like that, the only reason to not get baptized, biblically speaking, is if you're not saved. So, even listen, even if you have health concerns, something like that, let us work with you. Let's talk it out. Let's, let's answer questions and ask questions in the opposite order, of course, so that you can follow the Lord and honor him with your obedience. Let's, let's work it out. Let's do this. Let's follow the Lord. Now, think back to Abraham. After the sign of circumcision and the process of physical union and conception, what was Abraham being reminded of? Abraham would have to say, my plan B didn't work. It doesn't work. God wants me to trust him. He's the one who's going to fulfill his promise. It was God who was going to be the hero of the story. Surprise, surprise. It wasn't going to be Abraham. It wasn't going to be Eliezer. It wasn't going to be uh, Ishmael. Not even Isaac. God was and is the hero. And he's more than just a superhero. Remember that God revealed himself to Abraham in chapter 17 as God Almighty. El Shaddai is the Hebrew there. God is the almighty, omnipotent, sovereign God who can do anything within his character. Why within his character? Because he can't sin. Okay? Anything. And Sarah, bless her heart, she was in the tent there in chapter 18, and she didn't see everything that Abraham saw, but the Lord reassured her in her doubt of having a child at 90, 91 years old. Remember, God Almighty said to her, is anything too hard for the Lord? God is able to fulfill his promise, even if it takes a 90-year-old woman getting pregnant to do so. And then next week. Next week, we'll talk about that. Our almighty God and how to rightly interpret that question that he posed to Sarah. And how we can truly find great joy, enjoyment, resting in God's powerful work and promises.